Welcome to the Sideline Dissonant. I'm Brad Whitaker. Sideline 7 today, then winners and losers. I'll make some comments on Kobe Bryant that I think are being overlooked by the media, especially when considering our standards nowadays. But first, the Sideline 7. This is my version of weekly power rankings. The reason I picked the top 7 is because you can't possibly have a segment without alliteration in the name, and there's no way in hell I'm ranking all 32 teams. I couldn't possibly care less whether or not the Bears should be ranked 27th or 28th. But ranking just 7 teams is hard, much harder than ranking a top 10, because there's a lot of good teams being left out. So let's get to it. Number seven, the Carolina Panthers. If you watch this program at all, you know I've been very critical of Cam Newton. He always throws off his back foot, which is why he's more accurate 25 yards down the field than he is five yards downfield. And I've always argued he's a product of his offensive line, which is why he won the MVP and went to the Super Bowl the year he had a top 3-0 line. Luckily, this year, I think they might have a top 3-0 line. And they've managed to take a lot of Cam Newton's responsibilities away with their versatile running attack between Stewart, McCaffrey, and Whitaker. McCaffrey also doubles as a wide receiver, and every week Ron Rivera finds new ways to use him. Also, the defense ranks fifth in the league in yards per game, although although they've allowed more than 20 points in five straight games, but won four of them, and two were against Aaron Rodgers and the Vikings' dynamic offense. Saints, don't let them win the division. You don't want Carolina with home field in the playoffs. Speaking of the Saints, I have them at number six in this week's sideline seven. They currently lead the NFC South, owning the tiebreaker with the Panthers at 10 and four. They beat them twice this season, but let's look at the Saints for losses. The first two came in weeks one and two, one against the Vikings before we knew how good they'd be, and another against New England. Since then, they've gone 10-2 with close losses on the road at Los Angeles and at Atlanta on Thursday Night Football. I'm not going to knock them off too much for that. We've known for years that if you give Drew Brees time to throw the football, he's up there with Brady and Rodgers. He has just that this season. And the defense, although not perfect, has enough playmakers to force turnovers. They could be a real force in the playoffs. The question is, can they win two games on the road, assuming the Vikings get that number two seed in the NFC? Number five is the Philadelphia Eagles. They've clinched a first round bye, but I dropped them to five this week. Not because Carson Wentz is gone, but because of their defense. Two weeks ago, they gave up 35 points to the Rams. Fine, there are zero holes in that offense. But giving up 29 points to Eli and the Giants, not great. Now, Philly has played three straight road games, so home field in the playoffs might be enough to fix their defensive woes. So, if it's just fatigue, they should be fine. Philly certainly has the pieces to make the Super Bowl, even with Nick Foles. He's no Carson Wentz, but he's more than competent at quarterback. He threw four touchdowns the other day, and he's never had this many weapons. Like I said, Philadelphia will likely be fine, but the last three weeks have been rocky, which is why they're down to five. Number four, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They should be one or two right now. They should have beaten the Patriots. They clearly caught a bad break with the Jesse James catch, no catch. But there are some glaring holes in Pittsburgh. Since the Ryan Shazier injury, they've given up 20 to the Bengals, 
38 points to the Ravens and 27 to the Patriots. And the week before all that, they nearly lost to Brett Humley's Packers, who scored 28 on them. That young pass rush is not the same as it was in the first half of the season. And although they caught a lot of bad breaks against the Patriots, when the game was on the line with 12 seconds left, no timeouts, and one more shot at the end zone, when chaos ensued, one side of the ball was prepared and the other was not. You watch that play, neither the Pittsburgh O-line or the New England D-line really knew what was going on even after the ball was snapped. But the Patriots forced a turnover because they know how to make order out of chaos. The Steelers are the opposite. Number three is the Minnesota Vikings. Case Keenum is a good quarterback. He's not a backup. I think that's become increasingly clear in the last couple of weeks. They lost at Carolina two weeks ago, but Keenum still put up 24 on them. This past week, they put up another 30-plus point game. And at home, the Vikings' defense is unstoppable. Now, they have a tough cold-weather matchup on the road in Green Bay this weekend. That will be a real test, but that defense is no joke. They rank second in the NFL in both yards and points per game. In all likelihood, the Vikings will only have to play one road game this postseason, and that's assuming the Eagles can make it to the NFC title game without Carson Wentz and then they would have a home game in the Super Bowl as a Patriots fan that's a team I don't want to see if the Pats make it to February speaking of New England believe it or not I don't have them at number one this week uh, these last couple of weeks losing on the road to Miami without Gronk and barely winning in Pittsburgh we found out just how much that offense relies on Rob Gronkowski this season. Two weeks ago, I made a video saying the Pats should trade Gronk next offseason. I've since changed my mind. Him and Brady single-handedly led them on that game-winning drive on Sunday. But the offense is going to be just fine. Uh, Brady's numbers always dip just slightly in December, which they had this year, but then he returns to form in the postseason. And mediocre Brady is still better than 80% of the quarterbacks in the league. The real issue with the Patriots is they have no pass rush. Now, there were times during the midst of the season where it looked like they were developing one. They also haven't had Kyle Van Noy the last couple of weeks, so presumably it will get better when he returns. But Kyle Van Noy ain't stopping the Rams in the Super Bowl. The Pats are still the clear favorite in the AFC, but things aren't, quite, aren't looking quite as bright as they did three weeks ago. And finally, number one in the statement game of all statement games, the Los Angeles Rams. I fully expected this to be another season where the Seahawks float just under the radar, but somehow find a way to win the division late in the season. Boy, was I wrong. The Rams scored 34 points on the Legion of Boom Sunday, and that was just before halftime. Sean McVay basically took what Kyle Shanahan did with the Falcons offense last year and found a way to do it even better with Jared Goff and Todd Gurley. This is a team that traded for Sammy Watkins, and he's not even their first or second best receiver. And that's only half the story. If you take out the Philadelphia game two weeks ago, the Rams defense has consistently been one of the best in the NFL. And let's show some love for Jared Goff. Everyone fell for Carson Wentz this season, but between Goff and Wentz, only one quarterback constantly takes chances at getting hit. There's a reason one of them is healthy and the other is out for the season. And there were some throws downfield against Seattle a couple weeks ago that Wentz missed, throws that I guarantee Goff would have hit. I think the Rams are the best team in the NFL right now, certainly the team with the fewest holes, especially now that the Eagles don't have their star quarterback.
All right, now on to winners and losers, starting today with losers. Today's loser is the media. Last night, Kobe Bryant retired not one, but two jersey numbers to be hung at the Raptors at the Staples Center. That's the most Kobe thing ever, but I don't really care about the two jerseys. Kobe basically had two championship cycles in his career, and he wore a different number in each cycle, so you have to retire both. Not to mention, no future Laker would dare wear number 8 or 24 with Kobe's legacy in LA. And he also deserves to have his number retired. Kobe is one of the all-time greats. I just don't think he belongs in the GOAT conversation, and I think most people feel that way except for delusional Lakers fans who get hysterical when you even try to argue he's not the greatest ever. I just don't get it. He's not even close. But my issue with the retirement ceremony is the media's fawning over Kobe in the last 36 to 48 hours, while this hashtag MeToo movement is catching every celebrity and politician in the net on a range between anyone who said something even slightly appropriate, inappropriate in the workplace to full-blown rapists. But for some reason, when it comes to Kobe Bryant, crickets. And look, I'm not one to endorse all these character assassinations the media loves embracing. I'm just asking, why is Kobe held to a different standard? In fact, if you Google the Kobe stories from the last couple of days, only one outlet, Yahoo Sports, wrote an article addressing the dark days of Kobe's career, which, if they happened right now, would have forced him to retire. Now, you can talk about the credibility of Kobe's accuser, that's a conversation worth having, but it seems like either people don't want to talk about it, or they think it's common knowledge she was lying. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Because remember, his accuser wanted to stay anonymous, and when her name finally came out, Kobe spent millions on a settlement with her. And go back and read the apology letter. He admitted that she did not consent, and it just sort of fell on deaf ears because he was never actually convicted of rape. Look. I don't like talking about this stuff. I just want to talk about sports. I'm into politics, but I choose to not talk about it because it's so polarizing right now. But I feel like I have to talk about this because nobody will. Kobe Bryant is getting a pass from the media right now, particularly in Hollywood slash Los Angeles, a place that covered for Harvey Weinstein for far too long and is only now throwing him under the bus. Maybe in the midst of this Me Too movement, it's not the best time to have a Jersey retirement ceremony. But I guess that's just too uncomfortable to talk about because Kobe's too likable a guy because likable people can't do bad things, apparently. No wonder people don't trust the media. Okay. Okay, moving on to winners and on to a much lighter topic, aliens coming down to Earth. This week we found out the Pentagon began tracking UFOs between 2007 and 2012 and a new video from the Department of Defense is causing people to think twice about their belief in aliens. Take a look. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 miles from the west. Definitely a UFO. That can't possibly be anything else. Well, anyway, about a year and a half ago, Aaron Rodgers claimed he saw a UFO, and people gave him a lot of crap for it. It was definitively large in the night sky, moving from the left to right. Again, we're at like 12:30 at night here. Yeah. Um, it was me and Steve and his brother that saw it, uh, and. It goes out of sight, and we look at each other and go, what in the f***? 
fuck was that? <laughs> that would probably be a pretty good reaction. Make you do that? That's, that's a natural reaction. <laughs> I see the judgment in your eyes, Michael Strahan. Well, you're not laughing so hard now, are you? Look, I've talked to people who have claimed to see UFOs, and they all tell the same story. They saw it, it hovered briefly, and then shot out of the sky at a speed no humanly designed aerial device could possibly fly at. I'm not saying I believe in UFOs, but we now know the government has looked into it. The so-called eyewitness accounts all tell the same story, and most importantly, Aaron Rodgers, who parted the seas and turned water into wine, says he saw a UFO. I'm just saying. That's it for this episode of The Sideline Dissonant. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, I bid you adieu.